This is Take Two. Is Take Two. Dear Med, I'm so excited to have you on. You're probably the first guest that someone has asked me to bring on. So you're the first requested guest. How do you feel? That is unbelievably exciting. I'm <laughs> like this. I think this is the first podcast I've ever done where I've been a guest. So the idea that I'm a requested guest, honestly, my ego didn't need the inflation, but I'm I'm very excited to have it happen. Um, so I know I'm delighted to be here. Uh, it's really, really cool. Thank you yeah. very much for having me. And thank you very much to the person who brilliantly asked for such an excellent guest. I, such uh, a smart man. <laughs> I commend you. Mm, fair enough. What was I going to tell you? So you're an Irishman in London. I am in London. I am here in in London. Uh, I have uh, worked in politics in London. I originally worked for the Green Party in Ireland, though uh, I am no longer a member. Uh, I worked for... Uh, I've worked in the European Parliament for about half a year, and then I worked for about two and a half years for the Great Party of England and Wales. Mm. So I have kind of, that's kind of my, that was the thing that brought me over here was working in politics. Uh, but I think people probably know me better for, um, I have created TikTok content um, focusing on European elections. And more recently, due to a significant lack of time, because uh, I got a full-time job again, uh, which I'm very happy about. Uh, I've been focusing more on kind of talking about Irish politics um, and kind of having chats with people about uh, Irish politics, a little bit of European politics in there as well. But that's kind of that's kind of where I land. What got you into politics from the start? I, ooh, what did get me into politics? I think it was, we had a teacher when I was in primary school who was very, very into uh, recycling. And it was around the time of the uh, of the local elections in how old have I have been? So that was in two thousand and four, maybe. Which county, local if you don't mind me asking? Oh, uh, as people can probably hear by my incredibly posh accent, I am from South Dublin. Uh, <laughs> I was born in born in Limerick, and I am a Munster rugby supporter. So the one like positive thing about being from South Dublin, which is you get to support Leinster rugby the most dominant team in all of european no i didn't get that i got uh i got the second team but i am south dublin is kind of where i spent most of my time so it would have been um uh it would have been kind of dublin based south um, okay uh but yes yeah, so is it like I, a proud thing not it's not exactly a proud i love thing. i love rath mines which is where i grew up i okay. love rath mines um i have uh behind me for the for the vodcast viewers i do have a rathmines print that i have just beside my desk um but the whole setup like i i get told by english people like oh man well, you're really you're really easy to understand i'm like i don't want you to understand me i don't want to yeah. talk like this if yeah, I part my of way, the charm you know like irish charm <laughs> is the difficulty of the accent you know what i, I mean you lost have, it <laughs> as a little kid i used to have like a real thick limerick accent and oh. unfortunately it's been lost to time. Um, so I had a teacher who was really into it. And so local elections going on. I saw there was a party called the Green Party. And I was like, oh, cool. There's a there's a recycling party. <laughs> Which was very uh, funny. And then I, I it was the kind of thing I was aware of when I was in school. Like I was really into uh, debating. Really not helping my case with how posh I am. But I was really into debating. I was really into kind of following politics. 
And when I, when I, it was time to pick what I wanted to do for college, I knew I wanted to do arts um, because I hated maths. And so I kind of went, cool, well, I'm going to study politics. And I liked it so much that I ended up doing it as my, as my single subject master or single subject honors. I uh, went on to uh, a master's in political communication and then um, uh, ended up because of kind of like it was a time in Ireland where with if you wanted a job, it was like you need two years experience in the field for an entry level job. Um, and so I kind of went to, the, you know, it was a lot of kind of unpaid internship work that was out there. And so I went to the Green Party, who I'd been a member of for a couple of years. And I said, listen, um, do you mind if I just volunteer on your um if uh, I volunteer on your the 2016 election campaign and we just say it's an unpaid internship. And they were like, yeah. Uh, I was like, cool, what do you need to do? And they said, well, we need someone to run our entire social media, um, write all the posts day to day. So yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. I had, when I was in college, I became a member of the Green Party because um, it just felt like the kind of party that aligned my values. I hadn't been a fan of the previous government, but I... I I, I decided, you know, I, I thought that it was kind of potential of the Green Party. Um, and yeah, kind of got involved through there. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of have experience in politics, not just on that kind of high level kind of studying it and and following it and, and kind of, you know, and, and, you know, making content about it and explaining about it, but also like that shoe leather thing of like knocking on doors organizing canvases, uh, working in the office, head office, being kind of part of an election campaign from that level as well. So, yeah, I've kind of got... Um, you got like a whole a... package deal nearly. Yeah, like, the only thing I haven't done is run for election, which... Uh, Are you interested I, in doing? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so because I think that... Um, uh, I, I think that that is... A job, and this is a very controversial, uh, it's not even an opinion, it's a fact that anytime I bring it up, people get mad at me, um, that like being a politician is a really badly paid job for most people because most politicians are not in the dull, they're in local council. Local council mm-hmm. is a uh, is a full-time job for a part-time pay. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even that alone. And then just thinking about the amount of, the amount of hours the politicians have to work, the, like you don't get a day off, you uh, are like you constant like there's there's a constant kind of abuse that politicians get uh, now look me i'm i'm a, i'm a man i'm you know i'm straight i i'm i'm kind of very conscious of these things i would not face any near the amount of crap that um that uh you know a lgbt person or a color, woman yeah. Or, yeah exactly but it's still not great mm. uh and i think that fine also i'm a privately educated posh boy we're i think we're represented by every single political party so i don't it's not like there's a great need that i would be filling um so yeah Mm -hmm. i like to i I like to kind of tell people about politics like to like kind of uh, explain politics people kind of try to make politics more accessible to people uh because i'm actually kind of part of it as i hope that like that makes it so that those people can then go okay cool Mm. maybe this is something that i could be part of which is much cooler to me than me running or something i respect the self-awareness but i also just want to let you know that like if it is something that you want to go down don't let your circumstances or like your context 
stop you from doing that. Of course, there's a lot of people that appreciate what you do. But in saying that too, you're also doing your part, which a lot of, obviously your TikTok numbers like speak for themselves, but people are becoming a lot more politically active and the likes of your account, the likes of Anarchist League, for example, is just educating folk in a very non-controversial way, dare I say. So you're not polarizing, in my opinion, which is necessary when you chat about politics. When did your interest in not even creating political content start, because I think that this doesn't matter, but when did that urge to start sharing your knowledge begin? Oh, well, it's very, I mean, so I am... Talk about you mentioned me very very self aware. Something I'm very conscious of is that I love attention. So from the time I was, from the time I was like, maybe like seventeen eighteen, I'd want to start a YouTube channel. Oh um, yeah. But I was just like, I never had like the thing. I was like, this is the thing I could do. Mm. I I I want like, and looking back, there are a lot of people who who based careers off not having anything to do. Uh, but I, but I wanted to do it. And so I decided after I, I, I finished up working, um, my previous job, uh, that I was going to finally make a YouTube channel. I was finally going to give it a go. And then I was, I was talking to someone who was kind of knew a lot about the field. And they said, have you checked out TikTok? Because TikTok is like, that's a place that's kind of exploding. And, and this kind of content actually kind of has a, has a real people really interested in it. I was like, TikTok is like where the. 16 year olds like do uh, dances, dances like, yeah i had the same like the same thought that i think a lot of people have but as i kind of started using the platform i kind of started to understand the platform i was like yeah i think i could make some stuff for this um so i was like what will i talk about and i was like well the u.s election was coming up i was someone who who had been following u.s elections for years 2012 election was i think i think for most people who get into politics i know it's bridget it's bridget Purcell. yeah yeah, I know. In your interview with her, she mentioned the same thing that it was, it was the U.S. election that that, mm-hmm. that because U.S. politics is exciting. Or it it's seems so exciting. dramatic. It's so dramatic, and it's run at such a global scale too. Yeah, you f- you think it's exciting, and then you kind it's of follow it long enough, and you go, "Oh, this isn't exciting. It's exhausting." <laughs> and I don't. Uh, but it. But my thinking was, well, why don't I make content about you you know explaining you pol- or u.s politics for europeans mm. and as i started creating that i realized that oh this this doesn't really work because the algorithm will just drive us the people who are most interested in U- u.s politics which are people who are already kind of very ideologically driven so I, my comments would just be full of maga lover 22 or biden rule 78 or that kind of thing you know yeah. people who are already really invested and I was just, I kind of get, like, I wasn't really as into that. I, I, I wanted to kind of like, oh, I want to do something useful. Mm. Um, I thought, well, the other thing I know about is European politics, because I just have a weird obsession with like following every EU election. I was a huge fan of this podcast that unfortunately no longer exists called Previously in Europe, who always, uh, who would always explain a lot of the things that were going on in Europe. Uh, unfortunately, after the end it, I was like, well, I don't really have a place to like, kind of just pick that stuff up so a lot of it i was kind of starting to research myself and then eventually i went well i loved 
that podcast. And I was always searching on YouTube because this is before it started before um, TLG or EU and the likes for that content, but it never existed. Why don't I just, why don't I start making that? I made a video about, um, about Italy and it did, it did pretty well. Like it did like, got like 20,000 views. And, and before that, you know, most of my videos got like, you know, a thousand views if I was lucky. And I went, this is, this might work. I did another video um, the next day about the Dutch election, or sorry, about how the Dutch government had collapsed, mm-hmm. which is a, I work in social media. I understand the benefit of clickbait. And that got like 200,000 views. And I was like, cool, we're going to run with this. Um, and so, yeah, I started making kind of content about that, but I always wanted it to, I always wanted it so that like when someone checked out the video or saw that, you know, one of my videos was up, that they're actually going to come away having learned something. And that meant trying to squish as much information into a minute as possible rather than just going, which I feel like happens in a lot of TikToks where it's like someone babbling at you for like 40 minutes, but only like five seconds or 40 seconds, but only like five seconds of information. So I would script every, I started like scripting everything. I would film everything. Uh, uh, I would edit them. I would try to get it, uh, try to get it kind of as good as possible and, and deliver something that I thought, you know, you might find this interesting because I think it's interesting. How um, long would it take you to edit such thing? Like from start to finish for one TikTok? Um, the editing took about an hour. Uh, filming took about like half an hour. The real thing that, that, and the, the, unfortunately, the reason that I, I haven't been able to do it as much, the real thing it took all the time was the research because I, I really, I, I really prided myself in the fact that I was going to take time to like learn about this thing, that I wasn't just going to read a couple of articles, summarize them and tell you, tell it to them, uh, tell it to the, the audience. Um, uh, so it would, it would take like a full day to like, between like this, you know, I would like spend like a couple hours in the morning um, uh, applying for jobs because I was unemployed at the time and then kind of spend um, spend a few hours um, kind of topping up research that maybe I, I had done over the weekend. Then I would script, uh, then I would film, then I would uh, then I would edit, then I put it up at like kind of like six o'clock every evening. Um, and then I would go back to looking for jobs again. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of, I thank God for it, honestly, because like that time I, I had not, nothing really else going on because it was there's still lockdowns and pandemic and that kind of thing. So yeah. it kind of gave me something to do. Um, uh, yeah. Did you find social media draining or did it ever get to a point where it's not even about burnout right but did it ever get to a point where you're like ah constantly like constantly you know you would have a video like i would have a video blow up but honestly the worst thing that would happen is that a video would get like two hundred thousand views especially if it was something controversial like if i was talking about um it was really cool the first time it happened um, but like, like, let's say I was talking about something that's going on in Hungary, usually about like kind of LGBT rights. Mm. I would have to spend, like, if that went up on a Friday, my whole weekend would be deleting homophobic comments. Yeah. And look, it's way more, it's way worse for the people who have to read that, who that is about. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be like, oh, poor me having to do this. But it's just like, it's more like, 
aggravating that these people exist and these people have so many ways of getting around blocks and you know blocking them on tiktok and i feel like tiktok's algorithm is it it seems finely tuned to send some of the stuff to the people who you absolutely don't want to send it to yeah um, yeah i so, agree yeah mm-hmm. it would and then there'd be other weeks where you know you put a lot of work into a video and it would get like three thousand views and you'd be like cheers i'm also going through this like weird situation as well it's a love-hate relationship with short clips all of a sudden with the podcast especially um of i keep getting i don't know if you go through this as well but like i keep getting engagement on clips that i not even don't want to be identified with but it's like Mm. i've posted so much more meaningful content after that yeah yes it's the older stuff where I was still trying it out that like keeps getting engagement. That's one thing. Another thing is also of with a few like comments and all that, like I'm trying to deal with figuring out how to clip my podcast. That is about not hot takes, but it is about just like honesty and all that. And it is a long form conversation. I'm trying to clip it out and make sure I'm not manipulating a segment of a conversation trying to clarify that this is an entire podcast yet people like the content that it, like it's being pushed in front of the wrong people yeah that want to argue with themselves and i'm kind of i'm not giving up on my product i'm not giving up on me i'm not giving up on the guests cuz it's a good product and yes. it should all be really like listen to every episode by the way (laughs) no no and it's not even about that it's more just like I'm trying to figure out how I can get over I know I can't make everyone happy you know what I mean Mm. but I I I want to get it into like someone that's like oh wow what like what an interesting discussion let me listen to it and I know for a fact that once they go on the podcast they're going to leave with a slightly different perspective i like Mm. my main objective behind this is to get a few like to get the brain like ticking a little bit and have someone take a few golden nuggets from this thing and that opinion and that and then form their own like i want independence in this but fuck me man everyone has a stick up their ass on tiktok jesus christ tiktok like i don't i feel like i'm the old man because like I've I've seen you know they've been talked that you know TikTok could be the end of YouTube, you know YouTube is going in a completely different direction. It's going to like thirty minutes. Like my favorite YouTubers now put on like hour long videos or two hour long videos. You know it's going in this completely different direction, where it has you know TikTok is is really short and I and I kind of feel this is going to sound ridiculous. I kind of feel bad for the younger people who. I feel like you, to any younger people, I feel like you're getting kind of shortchanged because I remember, you know, YouTube used to be great. You get a 10 minute video, it would go into depth of something, mm. not too much. You kind of learn, learn a bit. I find that we've almost returned to channel surfing. I feel like I'm in the nineties again and I'm just clicking through to like, not into that. No, I don't want that show. Don't want that show. Whereas YouTube kind of has a more Netflix feel where you kind of have a big list of options and you pick which one you want. I think TikTok is fundamentally 
and short form video because it's Instagram Reels, it's YouTube Short. I think it's fundamentally a a less uh, a less rewarding way of consuming content. I could be on TikTok for thirty minutes and I would like feel like a like just kind of drained because I'm just like watching like stuff that isn't really relevant to me. Whereas, and it's weird because initially it felt like TikTok was so relevant to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas with YouTube, I watch a 30-minute YouTube video and I kind of walk away being like, depending on the topic, being like, cool, I feel like I learned something about that. Yeah, um, exactly. And again, I do think that I don't want to be, um, sh- <laughs> I don't want to be shitting on the effort behind the short clip, you know, mm. because I'm still doing it and I still really want to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm. But like what I'm struggling with is w- once the clocks, uh, the the brain started to tick and going, okay, Deb, you have to make sure that you're a little bit more responsible. Don't polarize people too much. I had mm. one TikTok blow up of just like leaving certs, right? Mm. And uh, like everyone, people were in favor and against. And there were a few people that got the message that I was trying to say that, listen, leaving certs are tough my mind Mm. is with the students as in i in my opinion i feel like a lot of people kind of like belittle 16 year olds that are or 18 year olds that are really going through it right now it's their like toughest obstacle for most Mm. and a lot of there were some people being like thank you for acknowledging it like a lot of people usually just say like oh wait until you get into college wait until you do a master's but for me, it was just one of those things where I just had to be like, oi, mind is with you. Like, it is tough. Yeah. It, it's not, it's going to get tougher, yes, but f- this is your hardest obstacle and you deserve that, like, little praise. Um, but then after that, I was like, I'm not skewing the truth here. Like, people were just, and the ironic thing is that people were bringing up points that were discussed on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> And I was yeah. like, if you, if you, rather than just typing out 30 comments because of the character limit, yeah. you listen but, to it. But that is the, the, I think the problem with that kind of short form content. And I, yeah. I'm not here saying short form content is bad. No, no, no. Like, as someone who's made a lot of short form content, I think there's yeah. a lot of really great short form content. It helped content you grow as well, like as a, like not influencer yeah. in the space, but like your account grew, you know what I mean? So you do acknowledge exactly. that. Yeah. But, but also I think it, what it, what is great about short form content is that you can't like something i find very frustrating about a lot of youtube videos is like people they talk so like they they're trying to drag out what i talk about like 15 seconds trying to drag into a minute try the people who are trying to take three minutes and turn it into like a 20 minute video hmm. the amount of times you watch that on youtube you don't get that with short form content it, it it's here it's gone boom mm-hmm. um so i think there's a lot of benefit and i think it's not less work as well which maybe some people think like i think in in many many ways it's tougher uh both in terms of like posting every day is way more stressful than like working on some i assume uh or it is is a different type of stress to Mm -hmm. having like a week to work on something and put it out especially Um, if you want it to be more meaningful yeah exactly like um but yeah i'm sure people probably have tuned in this wanted to hear about politics and that kind of thing maybe we should talk about that and, but and I, here I don't, we should I, talk about shitty like political videos i i don't want to just like kind of like then be like oh he's just crapping on tiktok for oh yeah 
Uh, I don't want to be doing that. Um, no, but I'm sure that just, people have questions about like, oh, where is he? <laughs> How's he doing? Yeah. Um, I did try to post a video a day for Lent. Um, I'm not religious, but I do Lent because it just feels like it's a thing to do. And so I did. So like, but the problem is then, you know, you do this and you're making this effort to kind of like, like make it part of your routine. And I guess so many comments being like, why don't you just make the old videos you used to? And I'm like, you are... I, I have, you know, I, I got <laughs> yeah. um, you know, yeah, um, it is like that. It, I do want to go back and make those videos at some point. It is just about trying to, to find a way to do it in a way that means that I can do the proper research. Because by the way, I did come back at one point in like September or like kind of November and try to make those videos again. And I was finding that I wasn't able to put in the right amount of research into them mm. to make content. And like there were people kind of commenting on, on one of them that uh, they were saying, now I want to phrase this very, I've said, I've said this before on live, so I'm not saying anything I haven't said before, but there are people from a certain country or a certain uh, group who have a particular narrative of the world that, that the rest of the world does not have. And when you say something that they feel, they they kind of take it as like that 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 goes kind of counter that narrative. They take that as a personal attack, and get very mad about it. Um, and one I had put up a video about tangentially related to them, and it got like thirty thousand views within an hour, and had all people from this particular country it wasn't about that country, but this particular country commenting on uh, on it with their saying that I didn't know what I was talking about. And I was uh, propaganda is for some reason, people think I'm like a propagandist uh, against one particular country. Um, no, which why, <laughs> why, why would you, why, why yeah. put yourself on that level, especially um, with your other content? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. It's like, you know, no one comments this underneath my uh, Madrid election videos being, oh, I see the game. You're trying to undermine this country. Yeah. I don't know why I'm being coy because it's it's probably not the country people are thinking of, which is the weirdest. It, I'm not, I'm, I will remain coy. I, I want to. Yeah. No, it's Serbia. I'll just, I'm going to say it. It's Serbia. <laughs> okay. When I make videos about Serb, related to Serbia or tragedy related to the Balkans, People from Serbia get mad at me. And then they say these things like, oh, sorry, Balkans are just confusing. I don't get Bulgarians in my comments saying that I'm propagating against Bulgaria. I don't get Croatians or Bosnians or Albania. Does Albania count as the Balkans? I don't know. But I don't get any of people from these countries saying that I'm... I'm lying, like I'm, I'm working against their country. It's only Serbians. And maybe, do you know, maybe... Serbians are right, maybe, and, and there's there's other outlets that I can read, but they mostly don't really tell me that. They just say that uh, I'm lying and I'm and I'm paid off by NATO. Yeah, uh, and it's, <laughs> oh, there, yeah. it's very very strange. Oh no, you you can't control it, and that's something that I probably have to like come to terms with. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. Um, uh, l- l- not even let these people go. I, I have a few takes on deleting comments. I've had a few people on the podcast, even for future episodes, like talking about like how it is okay. So I'm trying to like get out of that mindset that like I'm giving up 
myself. If I deleting do deleting comments is cool and good, and you should delete comments. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. <laughs> you people aren't owed a platform. Do you know, you're not. Yeah. You don't. You don't owe people a platform. I mm. think you can delete comments as much as you want. Speaking of freedom of speech, what do you think about Elon Musk buying Twitter? There you go. Look, we got rid of TikTok like that. It's a it's a <laughs> classic divorce guy move. You know, you make a big purchase. I. I can get it. I can understand it, you know. So you think that Elon Musk bought Twitter because he's going through a midlife crisis? A little bit. Like, he's like, do you know, he's, what's he? He's like a, he's a 50-year-old guy who posts like the zestiest memes of 2015. And he, he has a guy to, to do sure... that. He has a guy to do that. Oh, I'm happy for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I dropped a pen. I apologize if that sound came out. But yeah, you think, you know, he tweeted the other day, um, 69.420% of, 69.420% of statistics are made up. Like, he's a, tri- man he's a, a man child, man child. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what can you do with all that money, man? Like I was just saying, I'm like, you could have gotten me such a nice house. <laughs> but he already has a nice house. Do you oh. know, that's the problem. He has, has everything. Everything. he has everything. He has everything. Uh, he has everything materialistically. He now also has Twitter. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I, in my opinion, I can't care less. Let's start, and we're going to keep this bit short. What do you think about the state of Europe right now, politically? I, I think that Europe, the European Union, is probably actually really the strongest it's been. Uh, I think that between Brexit and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I think that political support for leaving the EU is at an all-time low. You look at the recent mm-hmm. French elections, Marine Le Pen did not run, didn't even run leaving the Euro, let alone leaving Europe. I think, you know, we're seeing that far-right parties and Eurosceptic parties, and those two aren't always the same thing, I should point out, um, are very much softening their language in the European Union. Now, where Europe goes from from here, with what's going between what's going on in Ukraine, with the expansion of NATO, it looks like happening. Uh, I don't know, but in terms of Europe as a political entity that has the support of both the political actors within the individual countries and the citizens of individual countries, I think actually it's doing it's doing probably better than it has in the last ten years. And I agree with you for that. <laughs> In terms of the European Union, let's say, not just the Union, but also moving a little bit beyond that with just Europe in general, what do you think is the main flaw? (laughs) God, the main flaw of Europe, that is a great question. Or the Union, if that's easier for you to answer as well. Um, I think that the thing that has always been a problem for Europe as politically speaking, is that it's so difficult for ordinary people to grasp what it is. I don't, like most people, like European elections, most people, or far fewer people turn out for them than they do in general elections. Far far fewer people understand what goes on in the European Parliament, the Commission, or any of these like bodies that are Byzantine, labyrinthine, they don't make any sense uh, to the average person. Uh, And I think that that is, the great deficit of Europe. I think that that people don't understand, and it's not, it's not like it's the 
people's fault. It feels a lot of the time like these structures are confusing almost on purpose. I'm not accusing them of that, but I do think it kind of feels like that. Um, I, I, I think that that is, and look, from a policy point of view, there's a lot of different things you can criticize Europe for. There's a lot of things you can support about it as well. Um, but I think just politically speaking, that is something that I would definitely, I definitely feel is, is just this huge problem. It is, it is just so difficult for people to really kind of grasp what it's about. There is a lot going on over there. I think we kind of spoke about this before we were planning it, or I brought it up anyways. But in my opinion, when it comes to Europe and the European Union, because of the history and the culture and the national identity of every country within it, there is, a, it's a completely different ball game to dealing with every single country versus the likes of America, the likes of Australia. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that's where I think, like, the European Union is a little bit faulty and where it comes, to, it kind of ties into what you are just saying there, where a lot of people can't keep up because... Mm. Politics in general, if you want to keep up with it properly, is very tiring. Do that times two with national versus European. Mm. It It's not even like tough to consume, but you're just like, I give up. I give up. That's, that's as well why I find the idea, and this is a hot take apparently, the idea of a European identity, I think is is generally nonsense. But in my opinion, the European Union is trying to push a little bit for that European identity a little bit more. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. But like, so there's so many, like there's so many disparate countries within Europe. And I think that European identity is something that really only two groups of people would identify with. It's kind of like a middle class, upper middle class, liberal type, um, usually in kind of Germany, you know, Germany, Netherlands, yeah. Yeah. maybe Luxembourg, the UK as well. Mm. Uh, you don't meet many Irish people. I don't know about Malta, but I don't think that you meet that many Irish people who are like, yes, I'm European. You know, it is something that kind of feels like that's an alien. And the other is just white nationalists. Um, and I and I think that those are kind of the two people who really seem invest, and for very different reasons, but invest in this idea of a European identity. And I just wonder, how can you say there's a European identity um, in, a, in a continent that has so many different languages? But the European identity kind of becomes, well, it's an English-speaking or French-speaking identity, maybe mm-hmm. German, maybe Dutch. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm, Italian. It maybe Italian. But going, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and it's kind of, it feels like very kind of, it's a reaction to... Well, the European identity is different from Russia, even though I don't know, really know what the the different ethnically between a you know a Russian um, or what is so different from a Russian ethnically. You know, they're a Slavic uh, Slavic people. Uh, they're white, which I think for a lot of what a lot of people that European identity feels like a code word for. In my view, mm. they have so many of the things that like you know you know i would count like why why isn't someone from istanbul 
why are they never included on the European identity? It was because they're Muslim, a lot of it, and because they're they're brown for like, or they're sure. perceived as brown. Oh yeah, I think that that is that's another thing. I, I'm just I'm generally very kind of critical of the idea of European identity. Um, not that I I'm anti Europe or I'm anti um, that I'm anti EU or anything, but I just think trying to force this idea that we are one we are one people. It kind of goes against the entire history of Europe. For sure. Um, and of every country as well. Like, Turkey has been trying to get into the European Union for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, it is, like, uh, I've studied about, like, why it's not, but, like, it usually does come down to the fact that... Yeah, we don't want... We, we don't, don't want, want to... million Muslims on our doorstep that can suddenly... Travel. Yeah. like I, it's a it's a protection thing. of the culture which is yeah like crazy to think you know what i mean it's yeah. like we're we're either open or we're not yeah what, what what does a european mean and again it goes back to what you're saying does it mean being christian yeah i, I and i think for some people it does and but i think it's again which they're wrong it's kind by of, the way I think because it's quite nebulous, it is. It's kind of hard to, it's hard to say exactly. So I'm generally quite critical of the idea of a European identity. Mm. Um, I'm not someone who has ever described themselves as European. Uh, despite the fact that I, you know, love talking to people from other countries and other parts of Europe, um, but like to me, and maybe that's also part of it. For me, the idea of European has never really kind of resonated. So I don't really kind of resonate with. The idea, the the identity itself. Like I find that so much of the European identity that I experience is like middle class people in London who never, who during Brexit, like when Brexit happened, never had like a particularly strong political view, but suddenly had discovered this identity after the, after it was taken from them. Um, so again, maybe I'm, maybe I, I'm projecting my own. My own experience. But. I do understand sometimes why people might identify with being a European because mm. I do think that being European is like being born in Europe is quite a privilege in that sense in comparison mm. to other places. But I do think that there is a little bit of a not even chip on your shoulder that it comes to, but some I am lucky enough that being born in Malta, I am bilingual. I have mm. that leverage over someone else. But then there's also that tough thing that sometimes you can't... The, the opportunities that are in Europe, mm. unless you want to be like in the European Union and all that kind of thing, it is not, it's not at as the same commercial scale as it is in America, for example, mm. or in London. Dublin and Ireland is starting to get there as well. Hence why so many people are also moving to Ireland, right? Mm. Um, but there is that little element of just like, oh, Europe. Like the most the most I can do is just identify with something bigger than me. Yeah. And uh, like when strangers come up to me, especially like in a smoking area or whatever, like it's a bunch of drunk lads, when they're looking at me and they're like, oh, where are you from? I do not want to explain the specifics of where I come from. I do not. Yeah. I don't. I, because I know that there's going to be a shit ton more questions, which is great. But sometimes yeah. you just don't want to like discuss that. So I just go Mediterranean, like figure yeah. it out. You know, I don't even say European. 
Yeah. And even, look, even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking if you're like a, a liberal person who lives in Hungary or Poland, I completely understand why you maybe don't want to identify with your national identity and therefore you cl- you, you go, you know, I'm European. I'm, mm. I don't want to be like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be Hungarian. I, I'm, I'm talking more of kind of that high level way in which I feel yeah. that a lot of European, like the, the parliament the like, talks about it. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I completely agree with you. I think that there, sometimes I feel like there is a little bit of too much policies and focus on that. Hmm. Erasmus, not that Erasmus is a great thing, but it's like, sometimes there's a few little projects where you're like, mate, like, come yeah. on, you can put it on something else, you know? But uh, yeah, I completely agree. Now let's shift it over a little bit to Ireland hmm. because we have a little bit of time, not that much time left. When it comes to Ireland, for now, let's talk about the present. A few years ago, I don't know how many years ago, Sinn Féin won the majority vote, correct? But they uh, are yes. But they are not in the doll. Like they're not dominating the doll. Am I right? You are right, uh, though I will say that 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 it you know it, we re- really need like an, a l- recent history lesson on this because I think people people talk about Sinn Fein uh, like you know that there was this kind of either in two regards one that well it's ridiculous that they don't have the largest um, party you know they aren't leading the government they got the most votes or God weren't they so stupid for running so few candidates when they were going to do so on the polls. Sinn Féin had no idea they were going to do this well. They ran way less candidates. Nearly everyone they ran got in. They are going to be way more prepared in the next election to... Uh, I Hot take everyone, I think Sinn Féin on these numbers are going to do very, very well. Uh, and that's really good news for Sinn Féin. It's probably bad news for Fianna Fáil. Might be a little bad news for Fine Gael. It's probably a significantly worse news for those smaller parties like the Greens and Sock Dems and uh, anti-austerity people for profit or solidarity people for profit because a lot of them got their people elected off transfers to Sinn Féin. Mm -hmm. And those transfers and those surpluses aren't going to be there next time. Mm -hmm. So that is going to be the thing I think that is most interesting to me is when Sinn Féin quote unquote win the next election and Irish politics doesn't really work like that. Uh, where someone wins the election, it, it's more that you you kind of win the government negotiations. You just kind of, the election gives you the best hand possible. When Sinn Féin wins the next election, who are they going to be able to work with? Are these small parties going to make up the numbers? Or, as I kind of feel like it's going to happen, are they going to have to turn to Fine Gael or possibly more likely Fianna Fáil and work out some kind of coalition agreement? Or... Uh, a confidence supply deal like um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael had in the previous doll. Why do you think Sinn Féin won the election? I think for a number of reasons, but, you know, fundamentally politics is about, and this sounds very reductive, I don't mean this way, but it's about telling a story that like really resonates with people. And, the, and what Sinn Féin said was, look, we're being told there's a recovery, but no one feels a recovery. Um, in terms of housing, in terms of childcare, in terms of um, on a myriad of issues, we are not feeling it. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have failed, not just over the history, not in the kind of the nebulous thing, but in the last 10 years, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have failed to fix these problems. We will fix it. 
we're going to put in a real change. I think that they did a really good job at looking at what went wrong. For people who don't know, in 2019, the local European elections, they got hockeyed, absolutely hammered, uh, lost a ton of seats that honestly they would probably wouldn't have expected to lose. Um, um, and looked at what, what they were doing and recalculated and went, you know what, let's build let's build ourselves up so that we are the party who are like a competent alternative to the government. And I think that that really worked for them, A, in kind of the areas they have done very well in, in kind of uh, in Dublin and in a few different cities, but also somewhere that there was kind of untapped potential for them previously, which is that terrible phrase, Middle Ireland, you know, the kind of the suburbs of Dublin, um, kind of, you know, larger towns in rural Ireland. That message about um, about housing and about childcare in particular and uh, and uh, about fuel prices and, and car insurance and all these different things really resonated with people. And I think they, they were able to tap into people who previously might have voted for Fine Gael because they felt Fine Gael were the most competent economic managers or previously might have voted for Fianna Fáil because they felt that Fianna Fáil understood them. And now we're looking at Sinn Féin as, do you know what those guys are... Um, those guys are, are offering alternative and, and they seem to understand actually the issues that really affect me. And on top of that, I think you have a younger, a younger generation that are, uh, I think actually a lot of credit has to go to the campaigns for marriage equality and the campaigns to repeal the Eighth Amendment for really like being effective at activating young people and getting young people involved. The younger generation who are overwhelmingly more in favor of the policies that Sinn Féin are advocating for rather than the policy, uh, policies that Fine Gael and in particular Fianna Fáil are advocating for. So I think that though there's, and I think also, um, I think that getting rid of Jerry Adams and having Mary Lou MacDonald as a leader as well was very effective because the I it's much harder to paint them as scary Sinn Féin, as IRA Sinn Féin, when you have a middle-class woman from Rathgar who, you know, just, you know, she has no relation to the IRA. She she is, seems like she seems like a fighter, but is there is there's a there's a safety that a certain type of middle class voter feels lo- looking at Mary Lou MacDonald. They weren't going to feel with Sinn Féin, uh, with Sinn Féin under Jerry Adams. And so I think that that also has to be considered um, as well as a bunch of like there's a hundred thousand reasons why Sinn Féin did well. But I think, like, I think it's not just that Sinn Féin did well because, you know, there is a housing crisis. Sinn Féin did well because they told, they made a pitch to voters that we have a plan to fix the housing crisis and they delivered it and, and voters went, you know what, actually we kind of trust you on that, you know, because Fianna Fáil have made a pitch on the housing crisis. Uh, Fine Gael have made a pitch. The Greens have made a pitch. Everyone's made a pitch. Sockdown's made a pitch. But only Sinn Féin have been able to actually really capitalize on that. And I think that I think that the scare tactics that worked in the past, the cap that was on Sinn Féin, I think they have done a very good job to um, to lift that cap. Ireland under Sinn Féin in the future, if it does happen. What does that look like? 
I'm going to give a really annoying answer and say, we don't know. Mm. I like, I, Sinn Féin, obviously, there's a great argument because a lot of people on the left feel that they are these, they've moved to the, become neoliberal sellouts. They're not serious. People on kind of the, the right think that they are these radical socialists who are going to completely upend Ireland's economy um, with insane policies that will destroy the country. The truth is we don't know. Until and, they do it. Until yeah. they do it. Um, and I think that it's strange because you'd often think that the, that the thing that people would go to is, well, the better the devil you know with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I think that their biggest problem is that they have become lumped together. I think being in government and previously having um, having a confidence supply deal has kind of has has kind of hurt them because now it's like well we kind of know both of you guys and we're not into it so we want to look at the other guys um but what it looks like we don't know and i think we don't because a big part of it will depend on who they go into government with if they are in government with a bunch of um center left and left parties and left-wing independents i'm not sure the numbers are going to be there for that but let's say they do the policies that they are able to put through are going to be really really different to if they have to go in with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. Like they're, and I think you can't really, you can't really prognosticate exactly what that's going to look like um, until we see it. Now, when it comes to the political sphere, as you kind of mentioned with having such a politically active younger generation, what do you think or what do you recommend as good practice when it comes to making sure that the way you're going to vote is not down to, A, the dual party system with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and obviously now Sinn Féin. I think those are the three main ones, main players mm. in the Irish political yeah. sphere anyways. So, A, how do you make sure that you don't get skewed by social media to that part? And B, how can someone figure out that they are making the closest choice, right choice, like the closest thing to the right choice for themselves? Uh, yeah, this is a good question to finish on. Uh, I think that what you can do, so there's a couple of things. Obviously, go through the, the, the manifestos that parties put out, have a look through them. Parties want you to read them. They, they always post them on uh, social media. Um, go through those manifestos. They'll po- they'll have them on their website at election time, and 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 really kind of see who lines up best. They're usually I know the Irish Times have done this. No other websites done this. They're usually websites that spring up that kind of you can put in your answers to how you feel on certain topics, and it will tell you which party probably most likely aligns with your beliefs. That is generally a good way of doing things. We'll see with every election which party that is, or which website that is. Um, but uh, the best thing you can do is to, to A, look at those websites and B, contact the candidates who are running in your constituency. Because obviously, as we as much as we talk about the parties and who's going to be Taoiseach and that kind of thing, Ireland is a constituency-based political system. So it is you are not voting for a party, you are voting for an individual. Uh, and sometimes those individuals' beliefs don't always align with their party. So contact your local candidate, uh, contact all your local candidates and say, 
can you fill me in on where you stand on policies X, Y, and Z? Because for a lot of people, it's, you know, you, you're not looking for like a massive, like 10 pager on every single issue. There's going to be three or four issues that are your make or break things. And you're going to want to look at them. Um, and also don't be afraid to vote for someone who you don't think is going to get elected because we use a rank choice system. You can give your number two, number three, number four to people who you think are more likely to get elected. And voting for smaller smaller um, candidates or smaller parties that you believe in can actually be really good because it gets them closer to getting their deposit back, uh, which means that they might be able to run again in future. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, by the way, if you really like a candidate, if you go to the deposit, you see a like candidate, especially if it's smaller candidate, contact them, email them, say, I will be involved in your campaign. I will knock on doors to you. I will get involved because that's the thing that they need more than anything else is people who are going to help out. Uh, do you think, do the work. okay, do you think, like I'm going to end this here. Do you think that contacting politicians, I know it works, right? And I feel like a lot of people say it, contact your local politician. Mm-hmm. But right now with probably the younger generation, we, in my opinion, do not like to talk to people. Get calling over them it. get is over the, like it, that's the honest truth if you tweet at someone or you write an email it is nowhere near, and i know this because i have so many friends who have worked in politics it is nowhere near as effective as calling someone or if you want to really be seen writing a letter okay. you have an issue that you really care about uh get you and a bunch of your friends to write to your local td like, does it make a difference that. though dear miss i think it does that like if you want, if it's something that they can act on, and they see that oh, people are writing letters, this is serious. This is something that people. I mean, we've gotten ten letters about this issue in the last three days. That mean if there's if there's ten people who are willing to write letters, how many people does that mean actually care about this but haven't written letters? That's often mm. the thinking. Is that like a letter is worth way more than a tweet because if someone's taking time to write a letter to post, you know, to get the stamp to post all that kind of thing. There's, they probably represent a much larger group of people than the person who's sending a tweet. That's probably their own opinion because it's a, it's something that's so easy to do. I that's see. a very flawed logic and you should take advantage of it. Okay. No, you are right. You corrected me there. I stand corrected for the first time ever. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much, dear Matt. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was great. I... I encourage everyone obviously to check out this incredible podcast take two uh it's excellent it's a wonderful listen um and if you want to find me you can find me at a uh, dear Maggie burke on uh tiktok or on twitter go that's, on that's me you got it thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening first promo of take two as well on show so cheers Dumber days collective